massive front doors of the All Saints Church were always open. On this afternoon, the Gothic staircase leading to the doors was knee-deep in iris-waistcoated ushers creating a stately path. The event had brought a crowd of people and the security guards had difficulty holding them back. The Thorn Limousine was a late arrival, taking its position near the end of the block. The security forces were thin here, and people crowded around the car, staring unabashedly in. The mob thickened, and Damien, who had dozed, began to rouse, startled and confused by all the faces peering in. Cathy pulled him close, gazing uneasily ahead, but the bodies around them multiplied and began to knock as though trying to get inside. It's all right, soothed Thorne, seeing the fear in the child's eyes. These people can't hurt us. They just want to see who's inside. But the child's eyes began to widen. They were not focused on the people, but to a point high above them, the towering spires of the church. Thorne glanced at Cathy, directing her eyes to the child. His face was stone his body tightening as the crowds faded and the church suddenly loomed into view. It's all right, Damien, whispered Cathy. The people are gone. Cathy gave Damien her hand and he clutched at it, gazing desperately into her eyes. The limousine stopped suddenly in front of the church and the door swung open, an usher's hand reaching in for Damien, sending him into more of a panic. Grabbing at Cathy's dress, he clung hard, beginning to whimper. As she tried to pull him off, he clung harder, becoming more desperate as she struggled. Thorne reached for him, pulling forcefully, the child fighting harder still to cling to his mother, his hands clawing her face and pulling her hair in his desperation to hold on. He began to scream in terror, a crowd gathering around them as they fought desperately within. Trying to help, Horton raced from the front seat, grabbing Damien and trying to pull him out of the car, but the child had become an animal shrieking as his fingers dug deep into Cathy's face, a handful of hair ripping from her head. Get him off, she screamed. In terror, she began beating at him, trying to wrest the fingers that had dug into her eye. In a sudden move, Thorne ripped him off her, grabbing him in a bear hug and pinning his arms to his side. Drive, he panted to Horton. Get out of here. As the child struggled, Horton ran into the front seat, slamming doors as he went, the limousine lurching suddenly forward as it pulled fast away from the curb. The child struggling slowly ceased, his head falling back in utter exhaustion. Horton swerved back onto the highway and in a few moments, all was silent. Damien sat with glazed eyes, his face wet with perspiration and Thorn still clutched him in his arms, gazing fearfully ahead. Beside him, Cathy was in a state of shock one eye swollen and nearly shut. They drove home in silence. No one dared to speak. When they arrived at Perryford, they took Damien to his room and sat him in silence as he stared out of the window. His forehead was cool, so there was no need for a doctor, but he would not look at them, fearful himself of what he had done. I'll take care of him. Mrs. Baylock said quietly as she entered the room. As Damien turned and saw her, his entire posture registered relief. He had a fright, Cathy said to the woman. 
He doesn't like church, replied the woman. He wanted to go to the park instead. He became wild, said Thorn. He was angry, said Mrs. Baylock, and she moved forward, lifting him in her arms. He clung to her like a child to his mother, and the Thorns watched in silence. Then they slowly left the room. Thorn moved stiffly out of the car, waiting there until it had pulled away. Then he saw them descending on him, two men moving fast, one taking pictures, the other firing questions. Thorn headed toward the embassy, but they got in his way, and he tried to step around them, shaking his head in response to their questions. Have you read today's report of Mr. Thorn? No, I haven't. There's an article about your nanny, the one that jumped. I didn't see it. It says she left a suicide note. Nonsense. Could you look this way, please? It was Jennings with a camera, moving quickly, clicking away. That's great. Just hold it like that. The camera came too close and Thorne pushed it aside, knocking it from Jennings' hand. It crashed hard on the cement, and all stood for a moment in silence, shocked by the sudden violence of what had occurred. Can't you people have some respect? gasped Thorne, and Jennings knelt, gazing up at him from his knees. I'm sorry, said Thorne in a shaking voice. Send me a bill for the damage. Jennings picked up the broken camera and slowly stood, shrugging as he looked into Thorne's eyes. In Thorne's office, an intercom buzzed, and Thorne reached for it. He asked. There's a father to Sony here to see you, replied a secretary's voice. From Rome. He says it's a matter of urgent personal business. I've never heard of him. He says he just needs a minute, something about a hospital. Thorne's doors swung open. He was a priest, his robes disheveled, his manner tense, his sense of urgency felt by all in the room. His eyes were sunken and etched with desperation, fixing on Thorne from across the room. Thorne's aides exchanged an uneasy glance, uncertain of whether or not to leave. Thorne, too, was disquieted stiffening slightly under the man's intense gaze. Would it be all right, asked the priest, to speak with you alone? Thorne nodded, his aides moving hesitantly from the room. When they were gone, the priest closed the doors behind them. Then he turned, his expression filled with pain. We have not much time. You must listen to what I say. And what is that? asked Thorne. You must accept Christ as your Savior. You must accept him now. There passed a moment of silence, Thorn at a loss for what to say. You must take communion, hissed the priest. Drink the blood of Christ and eat his flesh, for only if he is within you can you defeat the child of the devil. The atmosphere in the room burned with tension. Thorn's hand reached for the intercom buzzer and pushed. I've locked the door, Mr. Thorn, said the priest. Thorn stiffened, frightened now by his tone. Yes? asked the secretary's voice through the intercom. Send for a security guard, replied Thorn. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorn, the night your son was born. Thorn was jolted, riveted in place.
I was a midwife. I witnessed the birth. The secretary's voice came again. Mr. Thorne, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. Nothing, responded Thorne. Just stand by. He released the button, gazing fearfully at the priest. What do you want? To save you, Mr. Thorne, so Christ will forgive me. What do you know about my son? I saw its mother. You saw my wife, its mother, Mr. Thorne. Thorne's face hardened, and he gazed evenly at the man. Is this blackmail? He asked quietly. No, sir. Then what do you want? To tell you, sir, it's mother, sir. Go on, what about her? With a sudden crash, Thorne's door flew open, a marine entering, Thorne's aides and secretary behind him. Thorne was ashen, immobile, the priest's face wet with tears. Something wrong in here, sir, asked the marine. You sounded strange, added the secretary. The door was locked. I want this man escorted out of here, said Thorne, and if he ever comes back, I want him put in jail. On the street outside the embassy, Haber Jennings leaned up against a car, checking out his spare camera, having put the broken one away. His eye caught sight of the Marine escorting the priest down the front steps, and he snapped off a couple of shots of them as the priest slowly shuffled away. Later, Jennings sat in his darkroom, gazing at a series of photographs, his eyes curious and confused. He had shot off a roll of 36 pictures at varying exposures and speeds, and three of them had turned out defective. It was the same kind of defect he'd had a few months ago in the shot of the nanny at the Thorn Estate. This time it involved the shots of the priest. Once again it seemed to be a flaw on the emulsion, but this time it appeared more than once. It came twice in a row, then skipped two shots, then returned, exactly as before. Even more curious, it seemed linked to the subject. The strange blur of movement hanging above the priest's head, like a phantom javelin about to skewer the priest to the ground. Jennings found his way to Thorne's office with no trouble. In all his years of stalking, this was the first time he'd ever made personal contact with his prey. It was easy to talk his way in, but now his heart was racing his knees unsteady. Thorne stepped from behind his desk, moving to a bureau where he uncorked a bottle of brandy. Jennings watched him pour, accepting a glass. You're looking for a relative? Yes, sir. He's a priest named Tassone. He's a priest, but I'm not sure of his name. My mother's brother, separated when they were children. So you don't actually know him? Thorne studied the man's face. You see, I have a great interest in finding this man. The priest who was here. I'm afraid I was abrupt with him and I'd like to make amends. It's important to me. By the look on Thorne's face, it plainly was. Jennings knew he'd stumbled into something, but he didn't know what. Tassoni stood watching the ambassador from the opposite side of a chain-link fence, as Thorne and a group of dignitaries dedicated a housing project in a poor section of Chelsea. Thorne was a consummate politician, a man who enjoyed adulation, and as he moved by the fence he made an effort to shake each of the greedy hands. But suddenly he was jarred. 
a hand reaching through with sudden violence and grabbing him hard by the shirt front, pulling him close to the fence. Tomorrow, panted Tassoni into the ambassador's frightened eyes, one o'clock, Kew Gardens. Unhand me, gasped Thorne. Five minutes, then you'll never see me again. Your wife is in danger. She'll die unless you come. As Thorne pulled back, the priest was suddenly gone. The ambassador was left dazed, gazing into strange faces, flashbulbs going off directly into his eyes. 